Hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Addictive Pod. My name is Adrian, and today I'm joined by another casualty of mommy wine culture, a mom who drank to escape the feeling of being not fulfilled in her career and her life. My guest's drinking became out of control, leading to blackouts and hiding bottles, until she finally became sick and tired of being sick and tired, and changed her life for the better. Please join me in welcoming the founder of online magazine, Some Good Clean Fun, Sarah Kate. Sarah Kate, welcome to the Addictive Pod. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me on today, Adrian. I'm so excited to talk to you. I think um, you're the second Torontonian on the show. Represent the six. Um, <laughs> the six. <laughs> one day I'll have the the recording studio and and we can meet in person and have a, a legit setup. Get some cameras going. Get a yeah. sponsorship. Oh my god, love that! I'm manifesting that for you. That's amazing. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Um, but so tell me, when did, what was your life like before drinking entered the picture? What was the young Sarah Kate's life like and what factors or, or what, uh, events in your life may have, might have contributed to drinking becoming a problem? So I was, you know, generally kind of that quirky kid in elementary school and high school, um, you know, more on the nerdy side had a big mouth, got in trouble a lot, um, you know, but wasn't really um, necessarily sort of a party animal. Like I wanted to be a party animal. My parents were really, really strict. So, um, and because I got in so much trouble in school, um, I was grounded a lot. (laughs) So I missed out on a lot of like good good parties and stuff in high school. So it wasn't until, um, like I I had drank a little bit in high school and then I, um, it wasn't until I went to university um, and, Sorry, just to, to, to backtrack a little, I was also quite active. Um, you know, I wasn't on a sports team or anything, but I was a long distance runner and cool. um, like generally like, you know, a fit, fitter, like healthier person, still in drama club, but <laughs> liked to run. Um, I wanted to go to film school. Um, actually, I wanted to be an actress and chose to go to film school instead. I just thought that was like a more uh, steady way to earn income. I was really wrong, but um, uh, it wasn't until I got to university that I started feeling like I, I won't like, oh, I'm, you know, I'm away from home. I can drink as much as I want and really started to like binge drink. Like in my first two weeks of university, um, I drank, like there was this big, you know, frosh party and it was, uh, the old good, good old Al cool and Kool-Aid in a recycling bin, basically, (laughs) uh, in a pail. Yeah. And you just dunk your, you know, you dunk your, your frosh mug in the bin and uh and drink it and I got like really 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 sick like I'm surprised I didn't have to go to the hospital because that was the first time I'd really like hardcore drunk spirits like I hadn't really ever drank spirits before um I had beer and, and a little bit of wine but um you know I don't think I'd ever really like over drank until that first week of, of university and you know you, th- you would think that lying on the bathroom floor in, in a strange you know university pub bathroom would have stopped me that was the beginning of a very lucrative career in drinking <laughs> what was your experience um, yeah. like before drinking though so in that context right you're at a party or you're you're going into university and before <laughs> you had a drink what would your experience be like um I was you know what to be honest I was a typical teenager I did not have um so I have ADHD and so this is something I don't talk about very often but um ADHD comes along with a lot of baggage 
Um, but I was lucky I didn't have any anxiety and I didn't have uh, really high levels of depression. I had like, like some people with ADHD have a lot of depression. I had a little mild, mild, but it was more like, um, you know, a teenage angst. Um, I was pretty happy go lucky. I was like, you know, uh, wanted to be included in things, wanted to like try new things. I was, I'm a risk taker. Um, I loved to like try new things and meet people and connect with people. And this is partially why I got into the path I did because Mm. I'm such a social person. I loved being around people. I didn't have social anxiety. Um, you know, part of, part of like drinking for me was like connecting. And I think that that's sort of how that I, you know, the the path into that but yeah so as a teenager as a young person I didn't have anxiety I didn't have depression I had ADHD but I was like all right I'm hyper you know you guys are gonna have to deal with that (laughs) I've got a lot of energy and the one thing that you know you're when you when you're like that as a girl specifically is you're like quiet down sit down don't talk um you know there's something wrong with you and so I I was my diagnosis happened when I was 16 this is long before people even knew what HD ADHD was I was sort of one of those first people to sort of get that diagnosis and so it was like oh there's something there's something wrong wrong with me but um you know that put a bit of a a, a veil I got not a veil but kind of sort of a damper I think on my personality yeah. and what I've said since then is that when I started drinking it was like great I have an excuse now I can be as hyper as I want because I can just chalk that up to being drunk hmm. okay so there's almost a self-consciousness there when you're sober yeah. of yeah. it's not, I'm not yeah. just so happy go lucky and, and fun. I also have this kind of diagnosis or I have this problem with me that people might not like, or it might be too much. Yeah. 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 And, and to be honest, like there, you know, one of the biggest issues with, uh, and this isn't a podcast about ADHD, but it's just, it's related to drinking is a, there's uh, always, could be, there's, could be. <laughs> <laughs> there is an addictive, there is an addictive, um, um the propensity for people with ADHD because it's a way to cope uh, not cope it's a way to calm your brain down mm. um and so that, and I'll get to that in a little bit but that was like much later on when that started happening but um there was there's also um you know the thing that goes along with it is that you do you are a bit weird socially you know you things you say things they land the wrong way so I became so much more conscious of like I'm acting stupid or yeah. so I started trying, trying really hard to like not act stupid. Um, and then when I would drink, it would be, it would be so bad because I would be really stupid. <laughs> like but I at least not, you have the have... excuse. At least yeah. you can say, Hey, I'm yeah, having a I good time. Drunk. I'm drunk. Yeah. I was drunk. Yeah. And um, so that was sort of like, um, that started happening at the, towards the end of high school. But, you know, before, even in, in university, I really didn't drink that, that much in university. Like I did. Um, you know, we went out to parties, we went out to pub night on Thursdays, but I was a great student, like, other than the fact that I was disorganized and <laughs> like the ADHD part of that was tough getting through university for sure. But, um, you know, I was a great student. I was in film school. And so, you know, I really lived for the moments when we were on, when I was out, you know, shooting something, filming something, um, in my editing suite. And, you know, I'd have a, I'd often bring a bottle of wine to my edits, editing suite in fourth year and, um, like have a glass of wine while I was editing, but, but. I was, you know, uh, I realized it, I couldn't edit when I drank because you can't focus your creativity Mm. is actually, my creativity as an editor, it was awful. Like I'd go back the next morning and I'd be like, what the hell was I thinking? This is a terrible way to tell this. Like these edits are terrible. Like I would try to do stuff and it wouldn't, my brain just wasn't firing and and I'd have to go back and re-edit things. And so 
you know, it was university was like the typical, like, okay, I'm going to drink on pub nights and then drink heavily on pub nights, like binge drink on pub nights, um, you know, recover Friday. And then, you know, just light drinking on the, on Saturday, Sunday, I lived in, in residence and, uh, but I was a, overall a great student. Um, you know, of course, like trying to figure out my life and, <laughs> you know, where I was going in life, but, uh, it wasn't really till, you know, my, I got out of university and I was sort of on my own that this, this idea of like, I can drink as much as I want, party, party all the time. Um, and, and this idea of like, gotta drink more, gotta drink more, gotta drink right. more. Like, even if I was sick to my stomach, I'd go and barf and then have another drink. Like that didn't start till my twenties, like late twenties. Um, Did you pursue a career in film once you graduated? So I didn't. Um, I met my now husband and he persuaded me to go work at a bank. <laughs> gotcha so I went to because you know the steady paycheck and that kind of thing yeah. um and so I did I didn't actually end up ever pursuing a film and uh, career in film which I should have um uh, you know so part of the um midlife crisis which pre- precluded like me stopping drinking was I really fucked up my life um mm. you know I've really fucked up my life by not doing sorry I don't know if I'm allowed to swear on this podcast oh, yeah, go for it. <laughs> uh you know you realize like wow and because I have that high, that 2020 vision. Now I can, I can look back and I can say like, you know, wow, this was the year. Those were the years where it started to all go wrong. I didn't follow my gut when I started, you know, leaning on socializing more, going out more, not listening to like, um, it was almost like a disappointment. Like I was, I wasn't following my dream. So I was looking for the external stimulation somewhere else, like going out Thursdays, going out Fridays, going out Saturdays. And my husband was always so embarrassed of me because I would always overdrink all of his Russian friends. Like, wow. <laughs> believe it or not, like we'd go out to clubs bold. and I'd be on my, yeah, bold. I'd be on my like 15th drink or whatever. Not really, but, um, you know, probably I'd have wine at dinner and then we go and I do shots and my husband would just be like super embarrassed. And like all the Russian guys are like, this girl can drink. And it was like a source of pride. For me. Like, <laughs> look at me. I can yeah. drink. Um, it always becomes was, a competition. I it always does. That's my, yeah, it, it always does. And so, um, you know, so that was like me, like looking back now, I'm like, if I had followed my instinct, followed my gut and not, not covered up who I was, if I had been true to myself and taken the risks I needed to take and not listen, like, not, I'm not blaming my husband at all, but like, yeah. you know, he was an influence. He was an influence. He's like, you know, you need a steady job. You need a steady paycheck. And film school, you know, working in film's not going to do that. And I'm a really creative person. I'm a great editor. I'm a great writer. I'm a great, you know, um, like I would have been a great producer if I had had that opportunity. And so, um, but I never let myself take those risks. And so my life became more and more miserable and I would just turn to, you know, a bottle of wine, you know, uh, going out with friends, drinking more. And I've, it, it really was like right out of university where I, that feeling started, that was like, there's never enough alcohol in the world. Like we'd mm. go out and I'd keep drinking and keep drinking and keep drinking. It was like covering up for um, making up for lost time or something. One, yeah. like not drinking in high school, but also two, like um, if I can just like have, I, I can have more, the more I drink, the more fun I'm going to have. And, and um, this way my life is validated. It was validating the um, look at me. I can have fun because I'm not doing what I, what I wanted to do in my life. And it only took me until now to understand that. (laughs) I honestly think that's one of the worst sources of pain that someone can have in life is doing something that doesn't fulfill them or doing something that they know isn't right and isn't their calling or, or just not knowing 
what will fulfill you. Like that is real. That that is such a, a source of discomfort for so many people. And they numb uh, out. Yeah. They drink. They smoke. Like that's that's the. Yeah. It's got to be one of the number one reasons. Yeah, it has. And here's the thing for anybody listening to this right now who's in their twenties. I'm 44. Um, you know, if you're listening to this and you're in your twenties or your thirties and you, you know, you're not doing what you were put on this planet to do, and you know what that is in your gut, you know what that is. Um, and if you don't know, if you haven't figured it out, take the time to figure it out. Um, you know, don't, um, don't swallow that. Don't, don't cover it up because it becomes such a serious source of pain. Like you said, 20 years in. 22 years in, and I'm now just recovering from the pain of not following my own instinct of what I was great at. Everybody's put on this planet in a unique form to do something that's great. And um, yeah, and you know, it's if anybody's listening to this, take the time, take the time to figure that out. So true. And I see your talent. I see your talent with the good, clean, fun, and with your Instagram, the editing, the the mm-hmm. um, aesthetic style and 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 ability you have to create like that it's awesome i see that you're finding that now you're finding um, an outlet for that creativity it's so cool thank you yeah i'm finding my stride and uh loving loving the idea that i can use this creativity that i was born with to help empower and elevate others and that's really really rewarding and kind of worth the 22 years of like trying to figure out (laughs) you know I'm glad. But before we get there, back up. Yeah. How bad yeah, did it get? Up. So how how bad did the drinking get? Where did that take you when you're in your 20s and you're really in this this rut of not yeah. doing what you're meant to do? Yeah. So 20 the 20s were okay cuz I was coasting. I was getting married. Um, you know, my uh, you know, I was moving I, I worked in publicity, so I was working for a big uh, publicity company and um in Toronto and you know that led to you know late nights more drinks um you know often when clients were involved I would try not to drink around them but then it was always like oh clients gone count them back Hmm. um right and uh so it wasn't until like you know I I would say that like in my 20s it never really I'll tell you, I'll tell you where I realized I had a serious problem was when I was at my 30th birthday and um, I had, I had hosted my own 30th party at this restaurant on Queen Street, a Brazilian restaurant. And uh, I had drank probably like everybody was there. There was like 30 or 40 people there, like my family, um, my sister, you know, and her friends, like all my friends, like work colleagues. And uh, I drank a ton at dinner, probably drank on, I probably pre-drank before we went to the restaurant. Um, drank at the restaurant and then my sister showed up with uh with some weed and I went out and I'm not a smoker but I was like it's my party it's my 30th I can do what I want um you know went out and smoked with her and her friends in the back came in and I was so fucking sick I threw up like for five minutes and five ten minutes in the bathroom just throwing up um because I'd had Brazilian food I'd had wine then I was smoking weed and then I went right back up to the bar and I'm like give me a double gin and tonic like a double caipirinha or whatever we were drinking and kept drinking. And even though I had thrown up, <laughs> like yeah. it was time for me to not drink anymore. It was time for me to say goodbye to my guests and go home. Like um, that was, that was an, not an embar- embarrassing moment, but that's when I really realized I'm like, what the fuck is wrong with me? Like I had all these people there. Why couldn't I enjoy the moment? Yeah. Um, so there was, several nights like that where I like blacked out um I don't even you know and 
there was there was several situations where I was in a really dangerous like my and I was married at this time and I was and my husband doesn't party and so I would go out on my own and I met I would I would I'd meet people and I would purposely connect with people who liked to drink and who liked to party right so I would be like oh great Tara's my new friend we're gonna go out and we're gonna get smashed like every you know three times a week and um, you know there were some really dangerous times where I was in a strange part of town um, you know I was at a bachelorette party once and it was a bottle service and you know no like secretly it was I don't know if anybody else ever experienced this but it's like when 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 you were at a party and it was hosted bottle service you would secretly be like yes now I can drink as much as I want they have no idea like nobody will have any idea like how many drinks I'm having um you know and walking home along Queen Street this sort of you know um uh, like, you know, it's two thirty, three o'clock in the morning. I'm wearing a short dress and high heels and I'm tottering along, along Queen street. Like, how did I not get in some serious trouble? How did I not, how did I stay alive? Um, and then I'd go home and I'd fall asleep. And my husband would be like, did you have a good night last night? I'd be like, well, I'm obviously hungover. So yes. <laughs> um, wow. you know, so there were some pretty, pretty dangerous times where I like, don't remember how I got home. I was, and I was married and, you know, I think my husband was probably like, how are we going to ever have kids if Sarah's behaving this way? Did he or anyone else in your family um, try and intervene or say anything to you about your drinking? He always, he did for a long time. He's like, how many drinks did you have? Or, I don't think you need another drink. You know how that works, right? Yeah. Does that ever work for anybody? Um, you know, it just makes you more angry. And like, I don't have a problem. I'm not an alcoholic. Um, you know, and then then you, you know, I think the, you're, the people who care about you stop because you're not listening to them and yeah. they they're like well she has to do what, what she has to do right um didn't get better after that it, but it did it got better for a while and then it got worse and I'll tell you this is um, I, I got pregnant and uh obviously stopped drinking and um then in between my two kids I kind of went back to like some pretty um you know I was working at a place where there was a lot of again a lot of get-togethers a lot of parties and several occasions like I you know uh, my husband found me passed out on the bathroom floor um one morning like he had wondered, actually it was like four or five o'clock in the morning. He wondered where I was and went down to the, the, the basement bathroom and found me like literally passed out sleeping on the floor with a two-year-old, like up, my two-year-old's upstairs sleeping. And like, he had stayed home with her and I had gone out and he was just like, what the hell are you doing? You know, you've got a two-year-old, wow. um, yeah. you need to smarten up. And then I got pregnant with my second child. And um, um, then, then what happened was I became part of the mommy wine club. Life is tough. I'm going to start coping with wine at every turn. So, um, you know, I, I'm juggling two kids. I'm juggling a career. And where it got really bad, Adrian, where it got really bad was not the partying when I was 20 and 30. It got really bad in my late 30s, early 40s when I was starting to um, cope with wine every single day and started to, you know, have that narrative in my head, like, um, I'm not going to go to the LCBO today. I'm not going to go to the liquor store today. I'm not going to go to the liquor store, but I'll just go and I'll get one bottle. I'll drink one glass. The one glass turns to two, the two glass turns to three. And I wasn't a blackout, blackout drunk at all. So I can, you know, you, you know, I'm, I'm always horrified when I wake up in the morning and remember everything, <laughs> right? Remember the arguments with my husband, remember the texts I sent my mom, remember the, the you know, the, the things I said on social media, the posts I put on Facebook or whatever. Um, so where it got really, really bad was a couple of years ago, just, you know, prior to me uh, stopping drinking was that I was starting to hide, uh, two things happened. One, I was starting to hide alcohol in my closet in my room. So, um, I'd have a bottle of wine in my closet because I didn't want my husband to know I was having a 10 o'clock glass of wine, right? Like mommy's on, un on mommy's unwinding time. 
So I'd have a glass of wine at five. I'd have a glass of wine when I was making dinner. I'd have a glass of wine with dinner. I'd have a glass mm-hmm. of wine while I was cleaning up the kitchen after dinner. And then I'd have to put the kids to bed and, you know, do laundry and that kind of thing. And then I'd be like, great, now I can finally relax. It's 10 o'clock. I can finally relax and read a book with a glass of wine. And my husband would be like, you're having another glass of wine. So I started hiding it in my closet and started lying about how much I was drinking and started replacing bottles with bottles, like empty bottles with full bottles on the counter. Like I'd buy three bottles of the same brand and put one bottle, you know, um, you know, I drink one bottle and then drink another glass from the other bottle and put it on the counter and be like, look, honey, I only had one glass of wine last night. Uh, Meanwhile, it was five or six. Right. Um, then, then I was like, well, this is wine started not being hard enough anymore. And so I started, um, uh, for a very short amount of time, started to buy little bottles of Tito's vodka, <laughs> like little small bottles, and I'd have them hidden like all over the place. And like, you know, I didn't want anybody to see that I was having a drink, especially my kids. So I'd be like, oh, I'll just put some vodka in club soda, having a, you know, a VLC of vodka LaCroix, but you know, VLC at four, four o'clock or four thirty or five mm-hmm. o'clock or whatever, um, you know, to kick off the night. And then nobody was the wiser. Um, so that's when things started getting really, you know, uh, I went to a Christmas party and like, don't even, that was the only, one of the only times in my life I blacked out was, I don't know how I got home. It was an open bar Christmas party. And this was like only two, two and a half years ago or so, um, you know, and passed out on the bathroom floor again. Oh no, sorry. I vomited all over the side of my bed. My husband had to clean it up Yikes. and he's like, what is wrong with you? Yeah. yeah. So can you imagine like my kids are wondering what the smell is hearing all the commotion in the middle of the night because mom's vomiting um you know now I know I you know you're poisoning yourself of course you're vomiting but um that's when things got really bad um that I was I was slowly I was really sliding into addiction Mm -hmm. and um I knew I had something had to be done what was the final straw for you when was the very last time that you um that you drank too much um so this is an interesting question <laughs> because um, like a lot of people have a sober, a sober date. Like I've never drank again, you know, I'm sober. Um, so what happened with me was that um, I, I said, that's it, I'm done. And it took me quite a while to actually get to, um, you know, so there were, there was a, probably a year where I was re- what I call rethinking drinking, which was reading all the stuff, cutting back, trying to moderate, realizing moderating didn't work. The last time that I really, really drank heavily was um, the night we went away. So it was probably, I don't even remember when it was. It was, it was a night where we had, um, we had gone away to like a resort and um, my husband, like my husband and I, oh, my kids were with us, but um, I had said I wasn't going to drink and I had secretly bought, brought some, you know, bottles of wine with me and, um, you know, ended up. I don't even, I don't even, again, like kind of a blackout. I, it was a blur, but like my kids were there. We're in this little cabin. We're near a lake. And I'm like four bottles or three bottles in over the course of the day, you know, having wine at dinner, having wine at lunch, mm-hmm. having wine secretly. Like, you know, he didn't know that I'd had that and had brought wine with me and, um, you know, ended up like in the middle of the night, like wandering around at this resort property by myself, like, you know, doing stupid things, <laughs> like looking for snacks. Yeah. Um, I was a hot mess and I looked at myself in the mirror and I'm like, you're gross. Like, this is disgusting. Like you got to stop this. And that was kind of the final straw for me was like, this is not okay. And you know, in the morning too, like my husband's pissed, not speaking to me, did not speak to me for like three to three days. 
um, you know, you ca- I kept the kids up all night and then had a rough night when I was like feeling sick. And, you know, so I'd ruined the last night of our vacation. And it's just this, sh- the, the shame, I think. And I think a lot of people feel this, the shame of like um, that moment. And that was sort of the turning point for me where I was like, um, after that, I had probably one glass of wine at Christmas dinner. Um, after that, a couple of months later, and my, my daughter, I mentioned this when we first spoke was my daughter was uh, furious with me, because she knew how hard I was trying. And she was like, you broke your promise to me. And that was that was it. That was like, mm. yeah, I'm done. Yeah, to see your own daughter disappointed in you. Yeah, that's oh, yeah. really, that's really like, sad. Yeah. So it was, um, you know, she has seen, she saw how my struggle, she saw how hard I was working. I was very open and honest once I made the decision, like mommy drinks too much. It's an addictive substance. It is not my fault. It is um, there. It is an addictive substance and the addictive substance causes addiction. Um, and I'm trying everything. I can, I'm doing everything in my power. I can to overcome this. So she had heard me talking, talking like that and trying really hard so that that one that moment where i was like well i'll just have one glass of wine with a christmas dinner Mm. um that was that for her it was like this it's all or nothing mom like i'm really disappointed and that was it for me i was like i'm done wow i think i mean good for her i think it shows a certain um relationship that you two had even throughout your drinking that you kind of established or that she was able to that she was able to say that to you and that and that that could land it shows that despite your drinking, I think you were still in a lot of ways a good mom and you still really cared about her and she really yeah. loved you and for her to have that impact yeah. on you in that moment. Yeah. And yeah. And I think that the, the, you know, this, um, what happens when moms specifically, when we start getting, going down this path of addiction, we start drinking more heavily. We can't see, we can't see, you truly can't see the impact it's having on your kids. You don't know because your kids don't talk. Mm. Your kids don't say things, right? And it wasn't until I stopped drinking that my daughter's like, yeah, I hated it when you came to kiss me goodnight. And you're, every night your breath smelled like wine. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right? And it's like, oh, and you know, she re- she has memories too where she's like, you know, mom, I remember when you used to have a glass of wine when you were reading to me in bed. And I was like, yeah, that's, why would I do that? <laughs> right? (laughs) Like I couldn't wait until bedtime was over. No, that's the, excuse me. That's the problem. It's like, um, I think, uh, uh, you, you get to that point where you've normalized carrying around a glass of wine, like that show. You remember trailer park boys? Um, you know, the one guy always had that glass of the the Roman Coke in his hand. Um, and that was kind of the way my life became. Yeah. Your hand would be empty without it. Yeah. And so, I, I mean, I, I still did the good mom things like reading to them, getting them, you know, I, I was a high performing, um, you know, high, I don't want to say I was an alcoholic, but pretty damn close, you know, uh, high performing alcohol use disorder. Like mm-hmm. I was able to get the kids clothed and dressed to school and their lunches. I was able to work at my job and, and function looking back, probably, probably that had a lot to do with the reason why I jumped jobs, jumped around so much. But I mean, yeah. So the point about my daughter is that and my son as well is that, you know, I've been, I want to teach her to talk, to talk about this with her friends so that when they start drinking, they are, were what has, and this is a really important key point that women don't talk about alcoholism. So we don't talk about it. We don't talk about, we laugh off over drinking. We don't talk about what over drinking is. And if you try and talk about it, you get stink eye 
um oh, same you know, for guys you don't be by the, the way the, for sure yeah yeah you don't want to be like the ball buster yeah. of the party right so and what i kind of think too is like it's because we're taught at an early age now or we're, we're being taught at an early age earlier and earlier age that like um if you drink you're it's cool and, and you're glamorous and as a mom it's life is so stressful so you're allowed to drink yeah. wine but but there's no conversation around hey did you know that this is actually what happens in your in a female's body to your hormones when you have a glass or two of wine so the education isn't there um, early on like in high school there isn't a conversation about um and women and men are are very similar, but there are d- nuances for women specifically related to like breast cancer. And oh, all that kind for of stuff. the effects that it has. On, right, right. Yeah, yeah. And so they don't talk about that enough, like at an early age. Like, I don't know about you, but when I grew up, it was like, don't do drugs. Here's your here's your brain on drugs. But nobody ever talked about like, here's what actually happens to you when you drink alcohol. Because nobody, none of the teachers want to be the bummer. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. Um, so specifically women in the mo- in the mommy wine culture, you know, we've been raised to where it's glamorous to drink and sex in the city came along and taught us that we can have cosmos and be cool and sexy with our girlfriends. And we carry that into motherhood and life is stressful and all the mom memes and the jokes. And you're like, you know, you're, and so what I'm trying to do is with my daughter is, um, and my son as well, but more so her because she's now 13. It's like trying to at least arm her with some of the information so that she can make the choice for herself and be an advocate a little bit for like, you know, you may not feel great in the morning if you drink this and this is messing with your hormones or, um, you know, I, I think it's important that we rip the bandaid off. We've done yeah. that with everything else. We've done that with body image. We've done that with the, you know, the me too movement and, and keeping quiet about abuse. And it's like, we need to stop. We not, we need to stop keeping alcoholism and uh, alcohol use disorder quiet. Is this partly what you learned during the year of rethinking drinking as you started to read all these different things and and start to dip your toes into the community of alcohol free? Yeah, that's exactly it. I, you know, I, I started reading, I read um, This Naked Mind by Annie Grace. Right. I read Quit Like a Woman by Holly Whitaker. Yeah. And um, those two books really shifted. Uh, you know, I've always been a feminist. Those, those two books specifically really shifted my, my thinking about the role that the alcohol plays, the relationship that women have with alcohol and um, how we've been, you know, um, almost blind to the increased amount of, of exposure we have to cues to drink um, over the last like 20 years, but also how disempowering it is for women specifically. And this is almost another conversation, but um, you know, women's empowerment is, is growing, you know, the movement is growing and and women are speaking up about things, but then we're going home and we're drinking a bottle of wine and disempowering ourselves, but we're, we're told that's okay. It's okay. Drink your mom, drink your wine, drink your mommy juice. Um, and then you wake up with a hangover. How empowering is that? And so these two books, like I started learning all this stuff about what alcohol does to, to your body, women, women and men, um, how you metabolize it, but also then that extra piece, which is like, is this really the best thing for women to be doing right now? Is it really empowering? And how can we shift that that narrative? What would you say was the most important thing in your recovery? In, and after that moment of really recognizing that you didn't want to drink like that anymore, that you were letting people down in your family, what helped you the most to keep that promise? So there were, there was two things that, that really, really like worked for me and everybody has their own, their own path through this. But for me, um, the first thing was really 
really getting clear on where I was in the moment. So there's, and there's, this is, I'm trying not to make this too complex, but in the mornings I started getting up and I started um, writing um, the things I was grateful for, which, you know, a lot of people have gratitude practices, but I wrote them as if they had already happened. Mm. So I wrote them like, you know, I have a, a strong and loving relationship with my children. I have, I'm rich in friendships. I am, you know, an independent, like I have, you know, I'm, I, I own my own business. I'm grateful. For, I'm grateful that I run my own business. I'm grateful that I own, you know, I own X, Y, Z, or, or that I've got, you know, a great relationship with my husband. Um, so I started doing that and in the morning. And that helped shift me into these moments where if I felt like reaching for a glass of wine, I was able to tie that moment to what do I actually need in this moment to reach my goals? Like, what do I actually need in this moment? Do I, to be, to have a good relationship with my kids and my husband and to, to feel good about myself, to love myself and be rich in friendships, like, and, and, you know, rich in life, um, not, not financially, but like in other things, um, so I was able to stop and say, what do I need right now? Do I need, do I need a glass of wine? Is that going to dull the thing? You know, is that going to dull away the, the pain or do I need to scream into a pillow? Do I need a glass of water? Am I hungry? My kids are screaming and yelling and I'm exhausted. Maybe I need to go and just put my, and sometimes you can't do these things, but in that moment, what do I really need? And the ability, um, to tie it back to my, my long-term goals. Hmm. And that, those, that, that synergy, now that I look, I didn't realize how it was working until afterwards. So like, you know, months down the road, um, and a lot of this was happening at the beginning of COVID. So I'm sitting alone in my, you know, we're all at home. Nobody knows what the hell's going on. The world is going to hell in a handbag. Everybody's afraid to go outside. And every morning I was getting up and I wasn't drinking. I was writing my future, my goal. I was writing what I was grateful for as if it had already happened. Um, and every time I would want to reach for a glass of wine, I would assess what do I actually need in this moment? Sometimes I just needed a hug. Mm. Sometimes I just needed to go sit down and cry. Sometimes I just needed to scream into a pillow. A lot of times I was like, just leave me the fuck alone. I need to get out of the house. Yeah. And I would put my shoes and my coat on and just go walk. Um, that was what the key was. It wasn't so much just like identifying what I needed in the moment, but how then I could tie that to to sort of the, the vision I saw of myself, because I realized that drinking was taking me away from being the best that I could possibly be. And so what is that best? What is my best? What is the best I can possibly be? And I'm like, I want to own my own business. I want to have a great relationship with the people in my life, um, feel healthy, love myself. And so I would write these goals out as if they had already happened, write, the, write what I was grateful for as if they had already happened. And it's that shifts your day because then you're tied to something that you've written down. Um, I know a lot of people practice gratitude and they practice gratitude for the things they have currently. And, and I, I, I still do that. I still like write what I'm grateful for, but it was writing, um, you know, 10 things I'm grateful for um, as if they've already happened. And um, that was really, really key. So it's, it's, it's beyond just like, okay, what do I need in this moment? A foot rub? great. You need a foot rub, but how, you know, and it's, it's having the foundation of what's your best self. Mm, I love that. I think that really stu uh, stood out to me when we spoke last time um, as something I wanted to talk about more because in my experience and in the experience of so many people I talk to in, in addiction recovery or, or people who are just recognizing that they have addiction, it's um, 
that compulsion that comes up, that compulsion that, oh, I need this drink, I need this drug, um, it comes up because there is discomfort, there's pain, there's something, there's some type of trigger or feeling of disconnection. And if you can really ask yourself, why is that feeling coming up? What is missing in my life? Why am I disconnected? Then that's really the first step to be able to say no to the compulsion and turn somewhere else. And then if you can tie that into a bigger vision of what you want in your life, that is so much more powerful because it's in line with your values. It's in line with who you really are. And I think that's a really strong motivation for people. And I think like, I'm going to, this is really raw and vulnerable right now, but what I had to do was, and they talk about, uh, people talk about this a lot in addiction and recovery is like leaning into the pain. Mm. You have to face the pain. Like you have to face whatever your, your fear and your demons are in those moments you ha- and you can do it. You're strong enough, but somewhere along the line, you've been told you're not strong enough to, to face your demons and to face the things that are scaring you and to face the, the, the pain that these things cause and you 100% are and that's what you realize how resilient the human brain and body are and um you know what for me it was peeling back the layers of the onion on like why did my life go so wrong what you know why is my marriage falling apart why is um you know why why do my parents and I argue all the time why are my kids stressing me out um you know but not it goes even deeper than that there's a lot of things like um you know feeling left out Feel like the fear of missing out I didn't even know what fo- I, I didn't know that I knew that I've heard the term FOMO but like I basically have had FOMO my entire yeah. life and had to I really had to peel back the onion and be vulnerable and say like you know I'm always being left out of things I'm just that person that gets left out of things mm. for, you know for my life and it's probably because I'm a little bit quirky and weird and <laughs> um, it's not intentional people don't leave me out of things intentionally but in my mind I've always felt like people are leaving me out and that was the vulnerable thing that came out of this. Like, um, you know, one of the things that came out of this was that like, and why I drank so much too, is that I was, I, I was creating a party on my own because I always felt like I was being left out of something. And, and it never, it was never, it, w- it wasn't always something like, Oh, there's a party going on up there. I need miss left out. It was just a fear, a constant fear of, of missing out and creating my own party in my kitchen while I was making dinner well fine I'm going to drink as much wine as I can at home because I can't it's fun wine was becoming my friend and um that was a huge once I once I realized that and faced that head on that and you know I I did have to go to therapy for a little while and you know to, to deal with some of this but I came I came to that realization myself and it was like uh my the you know a light bulb went on like oh my god and then having to lean into that feeling and that that fear and that sadness and that loneliness that has been building up since i was a teenager um and you know i'm weird so i get left out and and trying to um find the courage to face that and own myself and own who i am as a person so this is yeah. now being i'm really being really vulnerable here but i feel like it's important to to share that because this was such a this loneliness was such a huge part of the journey i didn't even understand i was lonely until i until i stopped and took the time to lean into what why i what i needed in that moment why am i reaching for a glass of wine what am i feeling loneliness sadness you know obviously too it was coronavirus pandemic lockdown like there was a lot going on but um you know those layers started to unpeel as i started asking myself in that moment what do I need to be, what I need to be in touch with myself. What is going on right now? 
And that was the bridge. That's when I started to get out of this because I was like, I, I'm okay. I like, I love myself mm. as I am and I can, I can be happy in life. I don't, I'm not being left out of things. I create my own joy and happiness. Well, what's so sad about your story and so many people's stories is that the very solution that you used, the response that you had to that feeling made you more isolated, made you more disconnected and more alone. You were staying in, yeah. you were drinking alone, you were doing things that cut you off from your husband, from your kids, from people in your life. Um, it's like yeah, we have a broken right. toe and then our solution to it is grabbing a hammer, just smashing the toe a few more times every day. It's so sad. Yeah. It's so sad. Oh my God. Yeah. It's it's so true. It really disconnected me from, um, and you know, I'm, I, I'm sure that this is sort of a common thread too in other conversations, but it's like, you know, you you, you act like a fool. You act like an idiot because you're, you're over drinking because you want to fit in mm -hmm. and everybody else is drinking around you. So you're drinking more and more and more. And then, you know, the next time somebody has a get together or, you know, whatever, they're not yeah. inviting you because you acted <laughs> like a stupid idiot. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. You spilled, you spilled wine on their Persian rug and it's never going to, the stain's never going to come out. And guess what? Sarah's <laughs> not invited anymore. <laughs> yeah. oh. How did you cultivate that? self-love how did you cultivate that appreciation of yourself for being quirky as opposed to sort of a hatred of yourself for being different and for being left out you know funnily enough I was able to really get in touch with my 17 year old self because even though I had you know as mentioned earlier that sort of diagnosis and and when I was 16 um, up until like I was 16 or 17, obviously, I was very confident. I was, I was, even though I was quirky and weird and getting in trouble in school and like, you know, um, and I'd been bullied a little bit, but that it's not a sob story. I think everybody gets teased as kids. And um, I have a big mouth time for like people who are, you know, bullies, but um, I never let that, I never let that resilience is built into Sarah. And it always has been, it was always there. I was able to be resilient in the face of like, you know, um, all the things that happened to me in high school and, and uh or sorry in elementary school and high school and like in my life up until i was 17 or 18 it wasn't until you know i went to went away to school went away to university that i i stopped slowly stopped having that resilience and that that positivity so and that self-love and so, did you pra like practically speaking did you actually grab a piece of paper and pen and kind of journal about this time of your life or was it talking about it in therapy like what practically do you think people can do in this area to help cultivate that sense of self-love that is a really good question so it was a combination of things and again everybody has their own journey and approach so i'm a i'm a writer um so i would journal a little bit um you know i would also post on social media some thoughts some things i didn't i wasn't too too open about it but i i you know every once in a while i would i would jump on and through that process of like either posting something on social or um, writing in my journal, doing this gratitude work, going to therapy, it was a combination of, of all those things that, and, and talking to people in my life, like just talking to friends about what I was going through. Um, that's where these, this, I got, I really got in touch with this idea of, um, you know, everything went wrong once somebody started, when the outside world started deciding I was wrong. There was, I was, that I, there was something wrong with me. Everything was fine. I thought it was great. I, I've always had confidence. I've always had like a crazy sense of confidence and being very resilient to, to like, um, actually my background is Finnish. My dad's from Finland and there's a word in Finn, Sisu, S-I-S-U. 
And Sisu, you might have, there's some uh, fitness brands that have the same name. Mm. Um, what Sisu means is endurance under the toughest conditions. Wow. So those those Finnish cross, cross-country skiers who can ski for 50 kilometers yeah. or 100 kilometers in the minus 20 weather, uh, you know, long distance athletes and, and Finnish long distance athletes, those, they have this thing called Sisu, which is endurance under the hardest conditions, persevere, sorry, perseverance under the hardest conditions. So I've always had this, this internal flame of Sisu of like, I can endure, I'm positive, I'm confident, not everybody has that. And so I'm really lucky that now I can tap into how was I behaving when I was 14, 15, 16, 17 with this confidence mm. and self-love and, and find that again. And I've been thinking, I've been doing things like listening to rage against the machine yes. and, oh watching, and, watching, <laughs> and watching movies like natural born killers and stuff, because it's like, those were the things that I was like in love with in high school. Yeah. Those were like that kind of rebellious, like, you know, you know, um, kind of uh, like, fuck you yeah, <laughs> to yeah. the, like establishment. Um, and now I'm like, fuck you to like big alcohol companies, you know, in, in some ways, in a lot of ways, um, you know, down, pull down that establishment. Um, so I've been doing stuff like that, like going back and tapping into like, who was I before this all started? And so I'm glad that you, you, you know, we talked about that earlier because it was, um, you know, it has been a really key part of me unraveling this, talking to people, journaling, going to therapy and trying to figure out, um, you know, who, who was I and, you know, watching movies and listening to music and stuff, you know, that's so powerful. Holy, I've actually never heard that of anybody I've had on the podcast, like going back and actually trying to get in touch with that self before it was so messed up with alcohol and addiction. So to getting in touch with, exactly. with who you were and what you needed in that time, what was coming up for you at that time that you decided to solve yeah. it with alcohol. And then now yeah. uh, in your forties without alcohol, discovering how to really address that and how to to answer those needs I think that's amazing thank you so much I actually like one sidebar my daughter is uh so you know the cycle of the wheel of fashion is like about 25 years <laughs> and so like of course my daughter's starting to wear things that like I wore when I was like 17 18 19 and so she brought a pair of like pseudo like Doc Martens yeah. and I'm like I think I'm gonna get a pair of those <laughs> I I loved my Doc Martens in high school I'm getting a pair yeah, those are timeless, timeless. <laughs> They're timeless. But I felt like really connected for a few moments there in the store. I was like, yes, this is Sarah. Like this is, you know, I wasn't a punk necessarily. And I wasn't like, uh, you know, I made a joke, you know, uh, about so, you know, the, the people I hung around with were all sorts, not a joke, but like, you know, I, I hung around a lot of people of different like, um, you know, types and stuff in, in that time. And I feel like, you know, I like to go, I, I'm so happy I can go back and and think about that. But in that moment, I'm like, I'm really finding myself again. Wow. That is so cool. Um, before we wrap it up, I want to talk really quickly about good, clean, fun and rethinking drinking, sort of what you're doing in the sober space, because I think it's so cool. And I want people to find out about this and, and get in touch with you. Um, can you tell me when or, or what first motivated you to start good, clean, fun and, and what that's all about? Yes. So the the kind of motivation for some good clean fun is that I, I really do like to write and um, I'm a storyteller. And as mentioned earlier, really creative. And I was like, I just, I just need an outlet. I just need an outlet to start talking about this. Um, number one, but number two, I felt like this isn't just about me. This isn't about me. I don't want this to just be a blog that I'm, you know, I'm blogging about my own journey because there's a lot of those out there. There's a lot of, a lot of content on Instagram that is really powerful. Um, but I thought, you know what, I want 
to make this bigger. That I want to I want to really help empower women, and I wanted to create a space that wasn't just. And I don't want to say I don't want to minimize anybody going through sobriety or recovery, but I wanted a space that was welcome for everybody, for all women. Um, even if even if somebody was like you know a two glass of wine a week drinker yeah. and just didn't feel good about themselves, um, that I wanted to create a conversation that it it's not unhealthy for you to rethink that next drink it's not going to hurt you to rethink whether you know you need that third drink or that third glass of wine or even that second glass of wine um, it's beneficial for all of us to start thinking about this as preventative health um, a safe space to talk about you know gray area drinking or sorry defining things like gray area drinking and like what is alcohol use disorder but also you know if you only have two glasses of wine a week, you don't really have an alcohol use disorder, but you can, but you can still have an alcohol-free life. You can still choose to not want to have those two glasses. And this is a, a space to celebrate that. It's for all women um, to be empowered and be the best we possibly can. Um, and that's, that, that was the motivation was I wanted to, this to be not, I didn't want this to be about me. I wanted this to be about all women as a whole and our, our brand, like when we're talking about what our brand stand for, stands for, we want to uplift the world's standard of living. I love that. I love that. Quality of life, standard of living. You don't need alcohol to have an amazing life. You can have some good, clean fun. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to put the links to those uh, to those two Instagram pages in the description and to your website. And I really hope people mm -hmm. go check it out. I think it's so cool what you do over there. And I'm really lucky to have met you and to have heard your story firsthand. It's been awesome listening to you and, and learning from you. And I hope we get to speak again soon in the future. Maybe hang out with Madeline, happiest sober. Yes. And thank you so much for having me on today. I'm, I'm just, I'm so grateful that I've been given the chance to talk about this and share this message. And, you know, I'm so grateful that you had me on today to be able to do that and to, you know, hopefully if, if even one person's life can be yes. changed by listening to this, that's so important i'm so happy to have had that that opportunity and uh definitely we need to do a toronto meetup with um you know you and madeline and and uh, there's uh, there's a couple there's lots of other people out there actually that i know in toronto cool, so cool. that would be really neat to meet in person yeah thank you all right sarah take care and thanks again for coming on the show you too thank you everybody so much for listening to this episode of the addictive pod if you enjoyed listening to sarah kate please take a look at her instagram or her website it is at some good clean fun and the website is somegoodcleanfun.com. I'm going to put links in the description as well. If you are questioning whether your drinking is out of control or considering taking a break, take a look at the website and subscribe to the blog. They have a lot of good content coming out and I'm excited to see what they do in the future as well. That's all for me today. There's going to be another episode out next Wednesday, so stay tuned for that. Give me a follow on Instagram if you haven't already. It's at Addictive Podcast, so you can stay up to date with everything coming out. And that's it. Enjoy the rest of your day, guys. And as always, remember that we recover together. Recover together.